0: Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Rob Long, contributing editor at National Review Online, co-founder of Ricochet, co-host of the GLOP podcast, in for Jim today. He's off again at the National Review Ideas Summit. He'll be out of ideas come Monday, though. He'll be back then. Uh, Rob is good enough to be with us Thursday and Friday this week. And we have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives as usual. And Rob, Jim, and I were kind of flabbergasted by this earlier in the week when he made a strong statement. And now Rahm Emanuel is officially in the good martini Uh, because of how he's responding (laughs) to the handling of the Jesse Smollett case here. So buckle up. We told you it was going to be a a crazy ride here in 2019. We are not disappointing. Rahm Emanuel, not happy that all charges have been dropped against Jesse Smollett. There's not a lot he can do about it since they've actually been dropped. Uh, But he is going to uh, send an invoice to Mr. Smollett. Here's how the mayor said it on Thursday. Police are assembling the cost. Uh, They'll do that. And uh, then the corporation
1: council of the city of Chicago will communicate uh, to Jesse Smollett and his legal team about recouping that cost uh, in that effort. And uh, given that he doesn't feel any sense
0: of contrition and remorse, my recommendation is when he writes the check in the memo section, he can put the word, I'm accountable for the hoax. Yeah, that probably won't happen, but uh, the amount being charged to Mr. <laughs> Smollett is $130,106 and 15 cents. Don't forget the 15 cents. So, uh, Rob, really weird with Rahm Emanuel saying stuff we really strongly agree with. What is happening here? Well, I,
1: it's the slow motion transformation of Rahm Emanuel from a guy who talks a lot. Uh, and a guy who was like officially the guy next to the guy, right? I mean, that's what Bill Clinton would always complain about is that he's surrounded by people like Rahm Emanuel who had never done anything and never run anything and never, were never accountable. And now he is. He's the mayor of a city in real trouble. They always say that a, a conservative is a liberal who's gotten mugged. Well, you know, this is the slow mugging of Rahm Emanuel. He's slowly realizing that the world is kind of a difficult place and all of a sudden liberal chivalists are probably misplaced and irrelevant. <laughs> the irony, of course, is that as Rahm Emanuel was mugged by reality, Jussie Smollett wasn't mugged at all. That's what was discovered. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the, and the idea, like your, the whole reason that Jussie Smollett did this apparently is because he wanted, you know, more, you need more money, so charging him, you know, sending him a bill for hundred grand, he'll have to do another hoax somewhere just to, <laughs> you, to quote back up. That's kind of what it's all about. But, but, but what's what's interesting to me is that someone like Rahm. And a lot of other people in, in Chicago don't want this to go away. I mean, he, did, he has an opportunity right now to just make it go away, and it'll get buried in you know, the next to three weeks of craziness, whatever ha- comes. But instead, I think he's really genuinely, genuinely angry, and I think he, he legitimately should be, right? I mean, this is a guy who in a city in real trouble, diverted important resources to a fantasy.
0: In another statement he made, along with the statement he made about charging Jesse Smollett for all the costs that the police incurred, uh, he says, we want to make Chicago a welcoming place for people from all walks of life, which is a great statement. But this is also the guy that said, we don't want any Chick-fil-A's here because of uh, what its <laughs> founders believe privately. Uh, but ultimately, Rahm had to stand by the cops here, right? I mean, that's really what the bottom line is, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, when, look, when a mayor has, an, has a choice and an opportunity – to with very little political cost, stand by the cops. They always do that, right? That's I mean, no mayor in a big American city, unless there's some, you know political opportunity on the other side, will take, will, will let this kind of soft pitch go. But on the other hand, I think it's it's genuine. You have you're looking at a guy I think who, before he became mayor of Chicago, thought he had the world all figured out. He thought he knew who the good guys and the bad guys were. He thought he knew the answers to all the problems that a city faces. Like a lot of liberals, he was absolutely 100% certain that he was right, even though none of the ideas and the theories had ever been put into practice. And then when he got into practice, when you're the mayor of a city and there's a lot of moving parts, suddenly it's not so easy anymore. Suddenly it doesn't seem so simple. Suddenly, you know, maybe the police are right. Suddenly uh, there is a, a crime problem that is isn't that is divorced from the traditional liberal theories of root causes so you know maybe it's slow it's slow for these left-wingers but maybe in like 25 or 30 years i don't know if he's got that much time but like 30 years you know he'll he's gonna be a uh, he's gonna be a decent conservative <laughs> just, just keep, keep living in the world you know that's what happens
0: that's very ambitious rob um <laughs> we'll, we'll see if well, that pans out you gave yourself a 30-year window though so uh, if, yeah, you're, if you're not right <laughs> most people will forget about it by then I don't think so. The Internet doesn't forget anything. <laughs> We're going to get back to the Smollett case and the crazy martini. But as our exit question in the good martini, which is not a good aspect of this, what do you make of the Smollett attorneys getting aggressive here? They're basically saying, no, the city and the police and the mayor, they owe Jesse Smollett an apology. And then they're even going on TV and doing interviews yeah. uh, suggesting that these Nigerian brothers wore white face. Uh, <laughs> no, that's right. What, what is their strategy here? Uh, i think the, look the, this is a very well, they
1: they're on a roll right i mean they they managed to accomplish the, a, something that none of us would have expected 2 weeks ago um and so they're going to they're going to press their luck it's probably the smart thing to do you know you keep pushing i mean that's what napoleon is what a, napoleon's you know basic tenets of, of invading a country is you just keep doing it you just keep marching forward uh and if if uh, they suddenly get uh, a reverse or they have to stop, they can stop, but they will never give up the ground they've gotten. And what they realize is that – so something that people discover, I think, is that the only way you can win, the only way you can get what you want is you first have to demand it. And then you just keep demanding things until someone says stop. And maybe no, no one will ever say stop to them, but, but my guess is that they're on a roll, so they should keep pushing
0: Let's move on to our bad martini now, Rob. Ben Shapiro. This is not bad news. He's got the number one book on the nonfiction list, New York Times, called The Right Side of History. Uh, So a lot of folks uh, doing some stories on the fact that his book is doing so well, or just the fact that he has a new book. And The Economist did this, and let's just say they didn't do it well. Uh, Washington Examiner, The Economist created a furor when it mischaracterized conservative political commentator Ben Shapiro as part of the alt-right in a story published Thursday. The article, a question and answer feature about his politics and his new book, The Right Side of History, How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West Great, initially featured the headline, Inside the Mind of Ben Shapiro, the Alt-Right Sage Without the Rage. As soon as the story hit the web, its assertion that Shapiro was part of the alt-right, a loose affiliation known for extremism, racism and (laughs) anti-Semitism, Shapiro is Jewish, uh, drew ire and ridicule, ultimately leading to The Economist apologizing and changing the headline. Shapiro has, in fact, been a staunch critic of the fringe alt-right movement and a frequent target of it himself. The author took to Twitter after the article was published, writing, The Economist, this is a vile lie. Not only am I not alt-right, I am probably their leading critic on the right. I was the number one target of their hate in 2016 online, according to ADL data. Anti-Defamation League, I demand a retraction. After being berated by hundreds on social media over the mischaracterization, The Economist changed its headline to Inside the Mind of Ben Shapiro, a Radical Conservative. So, uh, Rob, apparently these people just don't have any idea who Ben Shapiro is. Well, I mean, it's, it's incredibly revealing for two reasons. One is that, you know, the thing
1: about conservatives is, is that we, we have to be bilingual. We have to speak both our language and their language. We want to get understood you want to have an, uh, a debate you want to have a conversation you have to know and you're a conservative you really have to know how liberals speak and think and talk so we speak that language and our language they don't have to they only speak their language they don't ever need to know the difference between alt-right or far-right or moderate they don't have to know any of that stuff they don't have to know who ben shapiro really is they don't have to even read um his his articles or his, his op-eds they don't have to or read his books they don't have to do that um, we do. So they're at a, an advantage in some cases. But in this case, they're revealed to be totally ignorant of the language that they throw around. The disheartening point of the story, aside from I mean, actually, this I would put this at a good martini because I just I love it. I, I mean, I'm a huge, huge admirer of Ben's and I just <laughs> he talks really fast. <laughs> and I just love it when he's in fight mode, swinging mode, because uh-huh. it's like kind of fun to see because uh, he's super smart um, and judicious and he's he's very good at it. But what we discover is that that even, you know, people say, but this is The Economist, okay? So it's not Mother Jones. It's not uh, Huffington Post. It's The Economist. And people routinely, I mean, I, I should just say people, me, I routinely read it and point to it as a fairly moderate publication, fairly conservative economically, uh, maybe a little squishy on the environment, uh, more, much more squishy than I am, but a fairly reliable news source, well-written Uh, thorough you know you know i don't i can't read it every i don't have time to read the whole thing every week that's how you know much there is in it and so it's disheartening when this is revealed right when the curtain is pulled back and you realize oh they they're just like all the rest they have no not only no knowledge of the different strains and philosophies in the conservative movement they are not even interested enough to get it right they're just not they just there is. I mean, and, and, and when you, you know you're conservative, it comes down to this it's like, oh, they have no respect for the intellectual tenants and the intellectual leaders on the right, al- along with no respect for the popular political leaders. I mean, I don't expect the economists to be super uh, respectful of Donald Trump. Right. I don't I I don't expect The Huffington Post or Mother Jones to do that either. And in many ways, I don't really want them to. I like the fact that we have this fractious press that uh, takes, you know, doesn't doesn't kneel before a president. I wish they had done that when Obama was president. But, uh, you know, a smart magazine by smart people have a little respect for your for the subject matter of your article. Have a little respect for the other side. It's it's uh, it's disheartening.
0: Maybe that could have been part of the Q&A.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what? What do you call yourself, and why, and why? What are the who? Who better, actually? I mean, Shapiro's is a smart guy. He's, he's uh, got his ear to the ground. He pays attention to stuff. Who? Who better to be your guide than him? than he. But it was. It, it was the fact that it was the Economist. I think was what made it really worse for me because I. I read that.
0: Yeah, you expect better from from that type of publication. But the good news is his book is number one, and it just got a lot more attention as a result of this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, good and he's extolling the virtues of Western civilization, which is badly needed right now. So uh, there's not all bad news there. And like you said, maybe no. it is the good martini in a number of ways. All right, let's go to our crazy martini now, and back to the Smollett story. Uh, Chicago Tribune here, because for what we what we thought for a long time was that the states attorney there in Chicago, Kim Fox had actually recused herself, but Rob, she didn't recuse, recuse herself. She just (laughs) recused herself. Chicago Tribune, the state's attorney did not formally recuse herself or the office based on any actual conflict of interest. Her spokeswoman, Tandra R. Simonton, said Wednesday in an email response uh, to questions from the Tribune. As a result, quote, she did not have to seek the appointment of a special prosecutor under state law. Instead, she put her first assistant, Joe out front to take the beating that would come quote although we use the term recuse as it relates to state's attorney fox's involvement in the matter it was a colloquial use of the term rather than its legal sense fox's office said so rob you've seen some uh i love it crafty (laughs) statements in the past i'm sure where does this one stack up
1: This one, this one is just pathetic. I mean, I, 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 sometimes, you know, when people wiggle out of stuff, you got to give them, you know, props like, okay, well that, you know what? That's pretty good. You're completely sleazy answer, but I got to give you credit for wiggling out. This is just so insane. You either recused or you're not recused. What is she saying that like, Oh, those days I didn't come into work. I just didn't do it. I actually wasn't doing my job, but I gave it a fancy title. I mean, that's like saying to your boss, like, uh, OK, I'm going to I'm not going to be here for the next week and a half, but I'm not going to call it a vacation <laughs> it's Not a vacation in the I'm just using the term vacation in a colloquial sense, not in the term of, of I got to call HR and get vacation days. It's like <laughs> it's like I love this. Like, if you could actually do this in real life, it'd be fantastic. I mean, I mean, it, it's not it's as if saying I could say, like, well, you, the Chicago uh, prosecutor's office is a, a, a corrupt cesspool of nepotism and double dealing but i don't mean that in the literal sense i just mean that in the colloquial sense <laughs> like imagine i mean i don't know maybe it's a good thing for us all to do for a day just to sort of let, let us let it fly and then say well i don't mean that literally i just mean that colloquially i'm, I'm not really saying that i'm just doing it but the, the truth is that That none of these people really thought about what was going to happen when after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of this, they decided to let it go. I mean, it's as if they really thought that it would all just kind of be a 12 hour story. I kind of understand that because it just, you know, you know how things are happening really fast these days. You know, suddenly you'll realize that it's Thursday and this incredibly amazing thing that we all thought our heads were going to explode happened on Monday. And then Tuesday, something else happened. And you just, these weeks are exhausting. So I understand the calculation they made, but <laughs> the idea that she thought that she was going to get away with the non recusal recusal on a story this big is just, um, Wow. I mean, it's not stupid in the in the in the literal sense. I just mean stupid in the colloquial way.
0: (laughs) I think that's called the Ralph Northam strategy. You just wait for (laughs) other news to wipe yours off the front page. Just Uh, wait. You just wait. (laughs) So, Rob, you're an expert to to comment on this. Uh, You see the joke, I'm sure, a lot on social media of, wow, the writers of 2019 have really outdone themselves on this year's season finale. So uh, doing pretty well here, huh? season finale
1: I don't think we're even close I mean I think we're in the I think we're in the beginning of it yeah I, I, the the most the thing about it is that people keep acting like things are different now oh and life is changing and life is coming at you so much faster and that just isn't true it's just that we know everything now we hear everything now. everything all, all the volume is turned up it's sort of like you ever see those old pictures of uh, mansions in like the late 19th century early 20th century rich people living there and you see, oh my god this is where uh, um, jp morgan lived and it's like this mansion um and then you in interiors black and white photograph the interior and you kind of look at it and think well wait a minute like it was all lit by these gas lamps and candles right and it's dirty it's like it's not that clean it's like for rich people when you when you look at it you think oh it's not that clean. And then when people turn on the lights, when they actually could see everything, they realize, oh, my God, we've been living in filth here. we got a vacuum, right? <laughs> um, you didn't know you had a vacuum. Like is rich, you could be the richest person in the world and you had no idea just how like messy and dirty and awful your carpet was. And this is where we're, we are now. We're in the age of electricity where everything is lit brightly. All the corners are, are visible from every part of the room. We're seeing stuff we've never seen before. It doesn't mean it wasn't there. It just means we didn't see it. And I think that's what's happening here, which is, um, <laughs> you know, the world is not changing. It's just that we're seeing and hearing so much more. And I, I, I think and I hope, I mean, I pray that we'll, we're going to turn down the lights soon because this is too much.
0: Good insight. That's an excellent analogy, and I think uh, that helps to uh, clarify why we have this avalanche of awfulness uh, all the time here. And so, yeah.
1: We were always awful. We're just now, we're just now <laughs>
0: noticing. That's my theory. Thanks a lot, Internet. Really appreciate yeah. that. Uh, Rob, great to have you with us the past couple of days. Have a great weekend, and hopefully we'll have the chance to talk to you again soon. Hope so. Happy weekend. Thank you. You too. Rob Long is a contributing editor at National Review Online. He's also the co-founder of Ricochet and the co-host of the GLOP podcast, also found on Ricochet, in for Jim Garrity. Jim will be back on Monday. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America, and join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.